Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Simon Fitzpatrick's. Welcome to In My Spice podcast. Um, thanks for coming, man. I know it's early in Melbourne and I've been, I've been waiting to have you on this podcast. And I think uh, what many won't know is, I mean, I've been wanting to start this podcast, I think, for the last two years. And, and I've shared that vision with you for a while. And to have you on it right now, it's, it's basically a privilege. But what I really wanted to speak to you about is more on the, on the sports psychology side of things, the mental and the peak performance of things. Um, and I guess the first question I got to kick off to you is um, how important is sports psychology in sports? Oh, well, first off, Pete, thanks for having me, mate. Um, great to great to chat and great to be part of the podcast. Uh, look, I think um, yeah, sports psychology and you know sports mindset coaching. So kind of I'm probably more in that that second second thing of being in the mindset coaching. It's to me it's as important as as the physical coaching. Um, which is obviously important and, and gets a lot of the rec- a lot of the recognition and focus. So you can kind of be as, as fit as as you can be. And you know, I think everyone they say, I kind of feel everyone that makes a semi-final at the Olympics has probably got the physical gifts to to win the final. Um, and it's really about um, you know, who does the right mindset work and gets the, themselves in the right mental state to get through to the final. Eight hundred is a tough event, but other events as well. Um, and then, you know, everyone in that final has the chance, especially in an 800 when it's unlaned and, and crazy things happen and, you know, maybe David Radish is no longer running. Um, yeah, it's – to me, it's as, it's as important as a physical um, and, yeah, it doesn't often get the get the um, the focus of the physical, which I think can be a little bit to, a, to an athlete's detriment. Um, I know you've – you know, you've really made a conscious effort to – to incorporate it as part of your training and you've, you've realized that there's more than the, the physical there's the mental and it's, it's also a slow process too. I think, mate, I think that's where you've been working on it for a number of years and it really started to really started to take shape for me, for you three or four months ago, like you, you know, you've been working on it for two years, but I, once you got up to, to the gold coast and started doing those runs and, you know, you were happy, but, you were you were you were satisfied, I guess, from running a one forty four in Australia. That probably said a lot, um, and said yeah, the right way. And um, you know, then you went to to Europe, and as soon as you ran your first race, I knew you could you could win the win the Olympics. Um, yeah, so and I remember could, actually, I remember um, early on, I think maybe two years ago, or even earlier than that, we started working on your coaching programs. And um, what I really enjoyed the most was the first week, I think it was a vision week, which we had to kind of um, lay down everything. You know, it was, it was just kind of like more than sports. And I really enjoyed that. It was like, I think we, we broke it down to categories was relationships, sports, finances. And as an athlete, first, I can understand why those things matter when we just basically need to run fast. But why, why is vision so important and clarity? 
I remember you trying to drill that and I struggled to understand that it took time. Yeah. Look, I think from a, from a vision standpoint and like there's lots of corny metaphors you could say, but basically you know, a ship, a ship that uh, leaves a port with no target, it just kind of go around endlessly and so forth. And it's, it's quite surprising for an athlete. They can get so used to the routine of training and doing the training and racing and doing training and racing and championships that they don't have that clear vision um, and as to what they actually want to achieve per year, per four-year system and so forth. And um, I think, you know, the, the need to have that clarity helps you, helps you with the good times, helps you with the bad times, just provides that direction. So if you've got, you know, a clear vision of where you want to get to, and it's easy to say, but, you know, for you, your, your vision was to, to win the Olympics, yeah, to make to play to win a medal at the Olympics, I probably think that's a fair thing. That's a fair assessment. Um, the, the better the color, the better. But that kind of helps you as well with you know the, the peaks and troughs that come in a racing season. So if you have a bad race, you can kind of dust it off a bit easier if you know where you're headed. Because you can have a bad training session it doesn't mean um, that you're not still trying to get to where you need to. So I think the the clarity of vision is so important. And I think as I said, you can get caught up in the routine of getting up having your two coffees, going and training, um, doing, doing that thing each day. Um, it just, it's just a really good guidance point. It helps you get back to where you want to get to. But I think, yeah. you know, you mentioned as well, and that's probably a, th- a big thing from, from myself with the kind of the mindset is I don't think you can have, you can't be necessarily thriving in your sporting life and, and struggling in those other components of your life. And that's why we, we focus on those other things. Um, and, and, you know, that's probably why for me, no surprise to see see how much the public loves you because I know all those different components that make you up and how important your family is, how important your relationships are with your closest friends and so forth. Um, they have they have a bearing on on how you perform on the track. Like it, it, I don't have the stats to quantify it, but they do. Like you need to be that that holistic person, and I think that's that's one of the benefits of of yourself. You know, you looked at all those things. You understood yourself on like you got a construction management degree. I haven't heard that be uh, said on it any of your post games runs, but there's a fair bit to you, mate, apart from just being a superstar. <laughs> and um, I found, I found so much value on going through that clarity stuff because what almost mattered to me more than sports, I don't think people realize like I enjoy running, I enjoy sports. I'm very competitive, but what mattered to me more was, was my outside things like my relationship with my family and all these things. So when going through that clarity kind of made sense and I really, I really appreciated a little bit more and then there's this idea that you can overtrain physically as an athlete, but then do you also think we can we can overthink the mental part of things and and overdo it at the same time? And what would it look like overtraining? Obviously, overtraining your body would look like injury, or yeah. And what would the mental side be? Um, look, I definitely think. Um, look, I was I was never never at uh, international level as an athlete, but I like to you know I was I was a decent runner back in. Day and I still try to trot around and help out. What's your PB? Uh, it's a 150 so for an 800. So, and as many would know, my, my 19th quickest time is also 150 points. So, <laughs> there shows I needed a bit of a, a bit of mindset work back then. But I think, look, yeah, overthinking was, was definitely it's a bit of almost a paralyzing thing and, and then getting anxious. So, like, towards the end of my running, I'm still running, but towards the end of my competitive career. Um, I probably got much better mentally, um, but there were some things towards the end where I'd, I'd think about things too, mo- too much. I'd get too pumped up and kind of use up too much mental energy before the race and then be quite flat for a race. 
So I think it's a bit of a delicate balance of knowing, um, yeah, knowing how to manage it. But it's, it's funny because you, you talk about the mentor and like so often I see for years that if, if someone doesn't perform in a big meet, they only think, okay, I needed to train harder, like physically train harder. That's, that's the, that's the default. It's not, okay, what are some other things I can do? And, you know, you've, you've incorporated the mindset stuff. You've incorporated Pilates, um, the extra gym you've done, all those extra things you can do. It's not physically, you could probably run as fast as you did this year in Rio, but you've added all those other components, um, to yourself for that. But I think, yeah, mental fatigue would be big. It'd be big for you over in Europe now, especially after the games, like when you're at, you win in Poland, that really showed me, wow, this guy is super, super strong mentally at the moment because um, Dobie couldn't, like, yeah, you, you said in one of your your lives, he and I might have been celebrating pretty hard after his bronze medal, <laughs> and he might, but I think it showed, like, that's kind of the down after competing at a, at a high of the Olympics and you were still able to, to run and to run really well. Yeah, and um, one of the best... One of the things I enjoyed the most, I think we're speaking, maybe it was two years ago and I started incorporating this after every race and it was the idea that um, to reflect on each race was kind of the same. I think he said, I had a bad race. He just said, look, right, three, three things you did well and then there was three things you could do better or learn from. Yep. And, and then I said, what about a good race? And you said you apply exactly the same thing. Yep. So I found that really interesting how you deal with a loss and a win is exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's all part of the process. Yeah. I think it was in 2019, I think you ran on the Saturday and you ran 149. Would have given me a chance in that race, mate. 149, but you were, <laughs> you were, yeah, you were, you were pretty gutted and you had a race on the win. I ran 150. Yeah. 150. I remember. There you go. There you go. I would have had you. Maybe. You would have had me, I think. But uh, yeah, you obviously you were really gutted. And I think that was, a, was either the Saturday or Wednesday and you had a race a few days later. And that was your last chance to run the qualifier. And yeah, we just kind of tried to focus on that and like focus just on things that were within your control. You couldn't go back and run the race again. Um, and yeah, what, three days later, four days later, you ran the qualifier and we're off to Doha. Um, so yeah, as I said, that's, it kind of shows you're in the same physical shape, but it's just that. And, and I think, yeah, it's, it's important to, you know, people get bogged down by the negative and it's more about it all let's just work out what can you can do constructively from that. So from if a race doesn't go to well, okay, what can you do constructively? Likewise, something goes well, okay, let's focus on a good thing, but also focus on something that could be a little bit better. And I think, yeah, it was, it was funny. I was laughing after your, your heat in Tokyo and you spoke to me. Um, and then, yeah, basically I said, quoted one of our foes, the Black Mamba, and I said, uh, yeah, job's not finished. And yeah. like, everyone was like, oh, this guy's running the qualifier. He's, you know, going to the semifinal, all this. I'm like, well, you're here for bigger things than that. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just focus on next job's not finished yet. And that was kind were, of... Were you, were you concerned at all after the heats that it that I'd be nah. um, used too much energy and then going to the semifinals? No, no. There was, it, was, it was a bit... Because we talk a lot about it. Um, obviously, Justin sets the the race strategies and things like that with you. But um, yeah, because we talk about it a bit, um, it was a bit surreal in the, in the heat and in the semi watching it. You, you, the moves that I would make if I was in your brain at that exact, you, we were just completely in alignment. Everything you did, you did. Like I would have, you got yourself into a position in the heat 
to be in an automatic qualifier. That's the most important thing it, the whole way through it, I feel, especially for yourself. Um, so just tick. I didn't, I didn't think anything. I got you added to the market to win the final, mate, in the betting agency. So it's fair to say <laughs> I, was, uh, I was pretty keen. But um, And then in the semi, when down the back straight, you're going, going to go past AROC in the second yeah. lap and then you waited. And the second you waited, I knew you'd win the semi-final because you were just going to save it until the home straight and then you did what you did. You did tell that's, me. That's another to... thing I want to speak to you about. Um, some of my best races, um, the, the question I often get is, what were you thinking? And I think some of my best races, I've never thought it was almost like automatic because I think in a race like that, especially where time matters a lot, if you're thinking you're losing time. So like everything has to be automatic and, but it's not accidental at the same time. Um, how important do you think, well, how do you even do that? Because like sometimes, sometimes I do that in my best races and I just don't know how it's done. And then sometimes when I'm thinking is like, make a move. It's already too late. As soon as I thought that someone's already made it and it's gone past you. Yeah. Um, what kind of mental, I guess, what kind of mental strategies can you apply? I know we, you talk a lot about breathing technique and visualization and, and self-talk and stuff like that. But yeah. when you're actually in the race, completely different ball game. That's right. I think, look, I think for you, yourself and the way that your, your, the skill set of your body is, you know, you're not a 44-second runner. Um, you, you like to run the first 200 over 400 like you're a 44-second runner, but you're, you're not, you're not <laughs> a confidence at this point. But I think, mate, it's just, it is purely confidence for you. Um, I've always said to you that I'll get up in the middle of the night and watch you race in Europe, and after 50 metres, I can know whether I can turn it off and go back to sleep. It's, <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's always, I've been, it's been about you and the confidence, and I think that's why, like, you for a number of years, and I hope you don't mind me, but like a number of years in Australia, you've obviously you've dominated or there's been some couple of good good runners up there with you. Then you've gone over to Europe, or you've gone to, more yeah, you've gone to Europe before the championship, and you run against the big names, and you, you've run, you know, you haven't been as assertive or as confident in your run. You've positioned yourself mid-pack or towards the back and things like that. And um, I've been trying to drill it in for a number of years that you need to to run each race as if you're running against seven seven of me, seven 150 runners, and really just be be confident and put yourself in the right position. And that's why, for me, you're racing um, in Nancy on the 6th of something like that. July, anyway, your first mm-hmm. one in Europe when you actually – it was the first time I saw you against that field not care about who they were and just went for it and then ran away from them. That was – that was a big thing, and I think for yourself, being sixty-three kilos of pure muscle, sixty-three, not sixty-one, pure um, muscle. But yeah, being sixty-three kilos, it's good to not be in a lot of traffic, okay? And it's easier to make some moves when you're towards the front. And I think being towards a bit of a front runner, which has taken a, a bit of a while for you to mentally get to, um, has made a big difference for you. And yeah, you were just you're ready. You you've done all the work outside of the physical to not to be in that clear position in the straight to be able to just, you were thinking it, but it, it had come almost, it was almost second nature because of how confident you were against the rest of them and, mm-hmm. and you know, all the work you'd done. But as you said, it's not an accident. I mean, you, you went, I think you, JT, JR and me and Joey all thought, yeah, at least final. 
and then anything happens in a final. So I think having that confidence also made you just make those moves without thinking too much about it. Yeah. And then there's the physical part. It's always easy to kind of measure. Like I know if I'm running 400, I know like to measure it by time and like same as the 800 and like strength work, you can measure it by like weights and stuff, how much you're picking and whatnot. Well, I mean, the mental part is hard to kind of measure. Um, How do you, how do you measure it? Like how, how do I know what I'm doing is kind of working? Like what's, it's a yeah, it's a good question, um, and it's a tough one, and, and it's a tough one that, that um, makes it not get kind of wider spread um, acknowledgement and, and kind of adoption. Very few people would do kind of the, the mindset stuff because they can't see the the tangible benefits that they see of um, thing. But I do know that um, three athletes. So there's I've worked with yourself, and I've worked with another athlete uh, in the Commonwealth Games who went. PB and his uh, Brad, who went PB in his heat, PB in the final fifth in the Commonwealth, going in like sixteenth, yeah. uh, and then yourself PB PB fourth in the Olympics. So I kind of I know. Look, it's not all. It's, it's far from all being mindset, but I know the the role that it plays in that because of of that. So I think that's rewarding. But I think from you know I'm one of your one of your good friends, definitely <laughs> one of my groomsmen. But I think from a from a mindset thing, the thing that's been as pleasing for me over the last month for you is it's not just about your running. So it's just seeing how much of a, an epic role model you are for your family and, and the Sudanese community, but much more than the Sudanese community as well, like all of Australia. And, um, yeah, everyone everyone was like your family in the, in their lounge rooms, maybe with a few less people in where I am in Melbourne. <laughs> but um, <laughs> would have loved to catch up with Justin and watch it. But, like... Yeah, so I think it's it's measurable in all those factors, mate. It's measurable to see you on the front page of the paper, um, all the major papers and things like that, and the difference you made because of that. But yeah, it's it's kind of it's there when you know it, and you know the involvement, and you know the difference in how you're performing and how confident you're running. But it is it is hard to say you ran two seconds quicker because of of mindset, and that and that's that probably prevents people from from doing it as much and, and limits them. So I think it's it's because of the the acceptance you had of its importance is why why you've benefited. And I think that's a credit to you to say, you know what, you know, I'm fit, I'm fit, I'm fittest I've ever been. That should be enough. And you've gone, no, no, I need to add a few strings to my bow to this. And you and you have and, and mindset's one of them. Yeah. And then how do you think it can be improved or like Get an get athletes, I guess, yeah. to see the value in it because you know if it's, it's important yeah. and but if someone doesn't see value in something, yeah, then they're probably not going to do it. And more than that, if they do it, it's just not going to work because you got to believe it. That's right. Yeah, you have to buy in. If you don't buy in, there's no point because it's you know part of it. Part of the program is developing those those habits, those rituals, and the standards which are kind of with you with you forever. Look, I think um, people are one of the, the big challenges from the, the mindset thing is people think, I don't know, but they think it's a sense of weakness if they have someone to help with the mindset and the performance stuff. They kind of think that they kind of think that that's on them, um, and that's probably the biggest challenge. People think that it's just their responsibility to um, to be able to deal with that, and they should be strong enough. Whereas people are always happy, like 
from a physical standpoint to, to train and to do the training and to have a coach to try like a physical coach have a have a Justin um, or similar probably um, have that whereas they kind of think oh yeah no I should really be able to do that part or that shows that I'm weak but it actually doesn't it shows that you're you're willing to do everything it takes to to put yourself on that start line uh, in the best possible shape. I think that's yeah. a challenge, but I think if people if people truly, you know, part of the part of the course as well is is kind of limiting beliefs and things like that. If people think that, um, that yeah, that they can't have help with that for whatever reason, that that can stop them from doing it. But it's just something that, yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not articulating it as well as I could, mate. But I think, look, I think. If you're willing to do everything and, and finish your career knowing that you've done everything, this is something that you should have a look at definitely because, you know, the proof's in the pudding. You, you're, It clicked for you in 2021. It didn't click for you in 2019. Not in Doha, you still you ran more a bit more assertively and got into a little bit of push and shove. But, you know, there was a difference from you. And, yes, in experience had a big thing. You got more physical training. But you, were in, you were in great shape and, you know, taking all these extra things on that, even things like the Pilates, I know you might talk about that. All these extra one percenters that you've done got you into the best possible shape and might have surprised Australia and Australian athletics, which certainly didn't surprise me. Like, yeah, done all the work. And and no, we we talked to like I was going to come over last year if it was on in 2020, but would it become fourth 2020? <laughs> no, absolutely I, not. I, 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 I said, I, and I'm honest about it. I said, um, yeah. having the extra year was big for me yeah. you know and and you can measure that because 2020 i ran 144 once yeah. and after that i was struggling most of the season yeah but it was still a lot better than 2019 yeah so mm. we're getting there. and then um, that just shows the process doesn't it that it's not and you can't just do it instantly and say mm, oh. absolutely not and then you know speaking about limiting beliefs that's that's usually so deeply rooted in people like i guess the question is how like for other coaches yeah how would you if something's so deeply rooted into you how do they get their athlete to believe otherwise because then that becomes down to i guess culture and the way they grow up and and you know i mean justin himself he's he coaches athletes from like there's so many different nationalities in our in our squad, right? That's right, yeah. And there's so many different belief systems. And like for me and Joe, we, to be honest, we never saw value in sports psychology. It's just, it yeah. wasn't a thing growing up. It's like, it's not a thing. In fact, in 2016, when when I was in Rio and met a sports psychologist for the first time, I told Justin, I oh, you want to speak to him. Like, I mean, yeah. not in a rude way. I just didn't see value in it. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. Look, limiting beliefs, I mean, there's the belief on what's important, but a lot of them can even be traced back to, I mean, for you, you would have had a lot, a lot of very interesting situations as as is being well-versed well in, um, in the media. How do you get someone to change their belief system? It's it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's very hard. And look, I think part of the, so I did a, I'm a neuro-linguistic programming practitioner. Um, I won't go into too much detail on this, but um, Anthony Robbins and Tony Robbins is probably the one of the more more famous proponents of that. But 
with limiting beliefs, it can be tracked back to your childhood, um, be it, as I said, your childhood, which is a bit, you know, well well documented now and, and it would have been definitely a challenge. And, you know, when you came to Toowoomba after all you'd been through and didn't know the language and had to adjust and things like that, there would have been things. But even even for myself or for, for similar people, like they were, you can track it back to they were five or six in their grade one or grade two classroom and the teacher asked them the question and they put their hand up and they got their question wrong and everyone laughed at them and something so innocuous and so small and then that person grows up with a bit of a fear of what other people think and then that translates in a race to not wanting to go for it 100 metres out in some interclub meet or some uh, some race meet because of what – sorry about that – because of what of what people might think or people might laugh at them for having a crack, like it, it, it's it's the connection is so weird that things can track back to that. So it is a big challenge, and you just need that you need the athlete open to open to doing the the right thing with that and to being prepared to be vulnerable. I think that that's mate, that's a big thing for 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 Peter Bowl for me from when I met you even. I didn't meet you until after Rio, but just the pre- preparation to be vulnerable and kind of listen to what other people had to say, and uh, and I think that's a that's been a key, but for their athletes, it can be a, low, a long process. It can be a lot of um, communication, but you know, I, I do think the NLP techniques and the mindset techniques that we've done are pretty important as well. And it's sometimes it can't just be done through a conversation. You kind of have to go into that that subconscious and work out what the what the reasons are behind it. Yeah, yeah, and then. I guess another good question is, you know, sports so focused on winning. You know, I'm focused on winning. You know, I know a lot of people say um, it's a process, the process, the process, the process. But if you lose, you're not really thinking about the process, right? Um, And I think it was was one time I was doing probably a school talk to a primary school. And one student put his hand up and he said, uh, how many, how many medals do you have? And I couldn't remember. And he said, how many races have you lost? And I, I had no idea or how many races I've, I've won and I had no idea. And then at that point, I actually did realize um, in the moment when I did win, it mattered. Yep. But like, I don't remember where my medals are, but I remember every single story that I've had during that journey, like 2015 going to Europe. Um, I remember meeting my uncle for the first time. You know, 2016, being in Rio, I remember going to a warm-up track and seeing the different athletes and getting excited about being in the village. Um, 2017, being in London, stuff like that. And so I guess my question is then, you know, what's important, winning or the process or both? Well, you're all in the game to win. Um, You're not, yeah, you're not happy if, well, there was all a little. There was all a pit in our stomach when you crossed the line fourth. Let's we'll be honest in the in that inner circle. Yeah. There was a pit in the stomach when you came fourth. But it is it is a simplistic way to look at it. The way that the way that you've grown in every facet of your life over the last two or three years that we've done it. But since I've known you, since the last five six years, like it's that that is more phenomenal than any any result can be. So I think whilst we're striving to win um, the process of, of, of all the gains you've got in yourself from a, from a, a, um, 
a racing level and athletic level, but in every other facet of your life is that's, that's as pleasing. Like that's as pleasing. Like it brought me as much joy to see you get the acknowledgement of what a, what an individual you are um, as much as if you won the gold medal, if that makes sense. So I think, yes, the goal is always, you know, you're, you're a winner. You're, you've got that winning mentality, but you know, you're smart enough guy to, to look back at things and say, wow, look at, look at what I've come, look at what I've experienced. You know, you're, you're humble enough to know, Hey, you're even being able to be outside of Australia and being able to compete and do those things. And I'm allowed five Ks out of my house once a day. So it's like, you know, you, you, um, you strive for your goals, but you acknowledge as you do from a, a good and a bad run, you acknowledge what you did really well and, and what you can do better. And I think, Coming fourth was an amazing achievement, and we'll look back at it soon, um, more glowingly than we did when you crossed the finish line. Um, but that not being that gold medal is going to drive you to do more of the same over the next three years and head of Paris. And you know you've already got that confidence now that you've that you've shown shown the world. Started by showing France in the start of July, you've shown the world, and yeah, it's going to be a pretty exciting next three years for you. I think while you chase that gold. Yeah, um, chasing goals. Goal setting has always been really important. I guess the normal process of setting smart goals, you know, realistic, measurable, and all that um, time frame. Um, I guess if an athlete comes up to you and and you're a mental coach, yeah, and says that he wants to make an Olympics, but you know it's not realistic, do you tell him it's not realistic, or or what do you do? You know, because that's what they believe. Are you crushing yeah. their dreams, or how do, how do you deal with that? It's a good. It's a good question. Um, look, I think I would do what I could do to get them as far as as possible. I think I, I I'm not here to I'm not here to to limit someone's dreams and goals. I think that if you know if there's someone that you know say a what say an eighteen year old version of me that probably was was never was never going to probably make the Olympic Games, right? If I could say to them, I'd just get them to to use all the the skills they could um, to get the most out of themselves and the best out of themselves. I probably, you know, I look back on my my running career and think, oh, I didn't. I'm not proud of it. I probably should be, but I'm not proud of it. I didn't feel like I got the most out of myself. I think if I can just help each athlete get the most out of themselves towards their Olympic goal. If that doesn't mean they make the Olympics, but they run, you know, except they run out of their skin and, you know, the rest of their life is, is, um, is thriving as well. Cause as I said, I don't just focus on the track like then, then that's going to be a good outcome. But yeah, there's only, well, there's only three spots in, in the 800 in Australia and three spots in other countries. So not everyone can make it, but, um, I mean, I've got two sons just born, so in 20 years that uh, there'll only be one, <laughs> one spot available. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, look, I think you just I'm just in the process of trying to get a person to to get as close as to their their goals as possible. But a lot of it's on on them doing all the work outside of the mindset stuff, all the physical, all those one percent. It's like things like Pilates um, that you and Joe started what 18 months ago. Yeah. Um, all these, all these one percenters that they can get the most out of themselves, and I think that's where your, your previous thing about winning the gold medal, like it is, yes, we all tried to win the gold medal and make the Olympics, but 
it's it's pretty rewarding when you can look back on your career and go, wow, I I, I achieved all that um, from my from my ability in some instances, but also I got to experience all these things as I as I chased it. And I tell you what, this yeah. like the sport of athletics is and or any other any sport or any kind of any like goal that you're just chasing. Um, it it does make your life a lot better because of that, I think, because you just once you start to harness on things, it kind of you know flows out to other things of your life and, and similar things in your life start to kick goals. Like your business that you've been business opportunities that we've talked about for years for you that we've kind of put on hold until till Tokyo and and now it's time to to work through on that and that's exciting for you as well. Yeah, and I guess the next one is um, sacrifices because we just spoke about business. And as athletes, do you think we should, you know, they say you should focus on other things and like we just spoke right now, it's good to put things on hold and focus on one thing. Yeah. Like um, I think I was speaking, I can't remember who someone last week and they said they put their studies on hold during the Olympics. Yeah. Um, you know, um, there's these sacrifices that a lot of people make. Um, I guess the question then is um, how important to know if you're going to make it or those sacrifices are going to pay off or not because you can't really know, right? No. You can't That's really know. Like I, I didn't know, like I was confident I was going to make the final, but I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's the tough thing and that's why it's, it is risky and you didn't have, you didn't have the luxury of doing not, doing nothing apart from just being a bit of full-time athlete, you know, you got rent's rent, you gotta pay rent. You weren't um having all those luxuries. It is a risk that you have to take, unfortunately. I think um but again that kind of separates separates the people and that's why there was there was eight people in that final. Eight people I'm sure more than eight people sacrificed. But it's just all those components of ex- extra things you need to do. And I think um yeah, you you need to be held to account, I think. Um, I mean, what, eight months ago you were considering construction opportunities in, in Perth. Um, and I was like, no, 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 just just come back, do what you need to do for this Tokyo. You're going to be, you know, you're 20, 27 now. That's right, isn't it, 27? Yeah. You're 27 now. You'll be, you'll have 30 years or 40 years to do in the construction industry. Let's just focus on what, what you're here for. And I think that's also your, the vision that you talked about at the start. Like if your vision's clear on what you want to do, then, it makes those sacrifices almost kind of second second nature. But that being said, it was a sacrifice. You've foregone a lot of cash working to make sure that you're in the best possible shape for Tokyo and you know, credit to you. Look at the results. It, you might but not have done it, time, but you did it. You did it. You know? At the same time, it creates a lot of a lot of pressure, which we have to speak about. And, yep. you know, certain athletes talk about pressure. And, I mean, it was the first year this year I didn't feel, I didn't feel any pressure. Yep. Like, I mean – normal question is asked do you feel pressure it's like no i don't feel pressure like i know what i'm getting into yep but pressure i guess you know i think you sent me a book was it um michael johnson maybe yeah and i think he's saying pressure is actually a privilege being able to have pressure is a privilege yeah but i mean he's he's michael johnson he deals with it differently um what's i guess is there a normal way to deal with pressure I think it's it's unique to the individual, but I think one of the keys that I try to do is just focus on 
on the task at hand, which I think is what you did in 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 Tokyo. And what I mean by that is you really your race tactics. Like you were able to, you know, put things to the side. Like Australia was going crazy. I I did my bit to not talk to you for the last twenty four hours, even though I would have loved to, but it was going crazy for you. Um, and you know, AIC did a good job of shielding that. But I could tell I could tell from your post race interview that you'd seen some of it. But I think it's the ability to just focus on what's under your what's in your control at that moment and being in that moment and just the race tactics and i think for you that was why like you ran the race tactics to what justin said and that and that like is it probably years of experience of racing it's the mindset work you did and, and being able to get yourself into a relaxed state um which you did through breathing or you can do through anchoring or different exercises um, and then just focusing on what's in your control and that's okay. I'm going to, if it's slow, I'm prepared to take the lead. I'm going to put myself in a positive position early. I'm doing that. I'm leading. I had no, no qualms with that. Still thought you were doing everything right. And I think you probably thought that as well and you stayed relaxed. I think I've seen you run previously in previous years where you've run the tactics, but you didn't believe the tactics. So you've, I've seen you kind of, how do I how do I articulate how I've seen your body, but kind of rigid in a way? Switch off. Yeah, mm. you were like you, you could see like your mind like not really believing it versus mm. like now you could just see that flow and you're just there and you believe it. But I think from a pressure yeah from a pressure standpoint, just focusing on what's within your immediate control there and trying to stay in the moment. I think it's probably look I probably and I'm never been in the situation, mate, but it's probably. Um, you know, having no crowd there as well, maybe that, maybe that was an assistance as well to be able to just stay in the moment and focus on what you need to do. But that benefit was there for the other eight guys in the final as well. So, hard to say. Yeah, uh, that whole crowd situation. It's it's usually when when we do a race with crowd and stuff like that. You can't have anyways. You can't have block the noise out, regardless. But I think if that stadium definitely had crowds, you would have. It would add a little bit of nerves and whatnot. And I wasn't nervous though. And I think I was speaking to to James and I was just I was just calm. And usually 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 I get nervous a little bit. And then yeah. when I get to the track, it's like as soon as I get to the track, or as soon as I get ready to get to the track, the nerves are gone. And that's been previous races and whatnot. Yeah. And I don't think I was nervous once during that race. Um and were you, I wasn't were you surprised you're in the final? No, I was not surprised one bit because yeah. I mean, I, I saw it like I spoke about it, and I mean, no one, no one thought I was going to be in the final. No one thought I was going to get out of the heat. Like I guess on the ride ups and stuff, like there was no like um, Peter Bolt's contender and and whatnot. Yeah. So to everyone it came out a surprise, but it wasn't a surprise to me. And I think if it was, uh, I would have got knocked out in the semis because I would have been shocked. And I got through the heats, and yep. I would have been knocked out in the semis. So no, I wasn't surprised, and and part of it is just because I saw it. I don't know, I saw it, and I guess that clarity we spoke about, and yeah, and then there was no limiting beliefs either. And I guess going back to your, you know, your program, you know, we have clarity, and we have limiting beliefs. Um, what's the following steps? So really, yeah, creating we it's creating a vision so it's that vision as i said on all kind of components of your life um it's around removing limiting beliefs you know i'm i'm not good enough 
or care what other people think. Those are two of the most common things that will impact people in every aspect of their life. Uh, then it's really about habits and rituals and setting things up um, on the daily for yourself, for the goals. And for you, I think one of the big ones we always talked about was gold standard, where you know every training session needed to be a gold standard and things you kind of lived up to that mantra to do that all the time. Then uh, the next step would be the peak performance state. So as you kind of said, and it's called or anchoring so it could be like breathing or you could do a weird physical tick on your body that, that that's that just gets you into the zone um so what do i mean by that you you sit down with me and you get yourself into a state or you visualize the success and then you attach a certain physical anchor to it and then you do that over time and then you can be on the warm-up track where you can be in the start line and you, you do that physical thing and and you're in that you're in that zone so i think that's helpful and then the last couple are really around positive and negative experiences, which you talked about earlier, like focusing on one, one, one or two good things and one or two things to improve, and then just moving on, and then um, not dwelling on the not dwelling on the negatives, or um, you know, you had more races after Olympics, so you didn't you didn't dwell, you didn't focus too much on the positives, go too hard. Um, so, and then you kept on going, you ran over to Europe and then you, you won again in Poland and got one more to go next week. Yeah. And just, just like physical training, um, we train about what, six times, six times a week. Yep. Um, speaking about everything you spoke about, you know, then do you incorporate, incorporate into your training program uh, or do you just do it randomly? And cause I mean, repetition, repetition, repetition matters. Yeah. And I think we, we both love Kobe and, and he says that all the time, you know, Kobe Bryant, yep. you know, it's just, he says it so simply, you know, he spent so much hours training, you know, and he just, it's just easy math. And that's yep. why he's better than everyone else. Yep. Um, and then funny enough, he's, he's, I think his mental trainer was the same as Michael Jordan, Tim Grover. Yep. yep. Um, so those people saw a lot of value, obviously on mental, mental training and stuff like that. Um, yep. But you can, I guess I'm, I could never find information of, how often he did this mental training and because yep. you're not, you're not just going to do it one week and that's right. just going to be there. Yeah. It's not, maybe not even six months. You know, we don't know the time duration. Then is it, yep. do you just incorporate into a schedule? Yeah. Look at you. Yeah, there's certain things in the course that, um, you know, you get constant daily reminders from yourself um, of what that vision looks like and, you know, development of vision boards or things like that that basically a, a constant reminder for you of where you want to get to um, and there's a certain level of accountability that that the individual needs to have but it's a two-way street it's something that um, you know the course itself could go for as long as it takes the individual it could be done in six weeks but to be done well probably takes a lot longer than that and then it's just yeah being held accountable and working with with you um, and what when when you need it and when you want it, sometimes when you don't want it, I'll push push a bit, and, and vice versa. I'll give you space when you want space. But it's just adopting it as part of your part of your life, and I think yeah, you need those reminders in there. I guess just to wrap it up, the final question is the idea of I guess maximizing one's full potential, and which is which is really important, and I think it's it's both it's both off and on the field sports, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. So like, I guess the question then is how can one maximize their full potential? You know, I guess you gotta, you gotta know your potential at first. Yep. Um, and just like, like athletics, I don't think 
I started pretty late. I started at 17, but there was a lot of potential and there was, there was a lot of talent there. Um, but then you have to recognize that and, and then you have to work towards it and you have to do the work and all these things to maximize one's full potential. But how do we even know the limit to one's full potential? Like, Well, it's, it's one thing that I'll always push with anyone because I, I challenge that when we, I challenged even a couple of years ago, like we'd been doing, talking about this a little bit, but I challenged two years ago whether you thought you'd come fourth at the Olympics. So I think um, the process for for myself, but the process for any athlete is to just do, to get, you want to look back at your career and say, you know what, I gave it everything. I, I did everything I could and that, that were the results I got and be happy with it. Um, and you hope everyone is happy with, with what their end results are. But I think it's, it's just the key of trying to, all these extra what little one percenters that that all add up in time and all these things that you know the the kobe's but um you know if all the all the superstars of the sport um of any sport that people think that it seems to come kind of naturally and it's not actually that these guys were the the hardest workers and set the highest standards like when i watched um mj in the last dance was i surprised that he was like uh, not a not a nice teammate, not at all. Was I surprised that Kobe wasn't a nice teammate? Not at all, because these guys had set standards for themselves to get the most out of themselves and look back on their careers and say that. And I think it's just about for an individual where they can, like not not settling, and they'll get the most out of themselves when they set high standards. I think that's the that's been the long lasting legacy. When we haven't been speaking every day over the last two years but you just you set those standards and that was about those kind of rituals and things like that yes the vision drove you but every day you were you were doing things and i just my question for you is that there was something that happened for you between november and january in perth that flicked the switch do you know what it was november and january so when you were the last couple of months you were in perth before you came back to melbourne there was something that flicked Mm -hmm. the switch for you as in, like, in terms of training, it, it, it all it all just started to come together. Training, training—you've always been a super trainer, but everything has just started to come together. Confidence. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. There was a lot of confidence. Um, I guess I had <laughs> I had a lot of time to think yep. in quarantine too. I was yep. I was locked in that room for two weeks, and I really I couldn't do much other than, you know, I did the bike workouts and whatnot, but I really had to. I had to decide what I wanted to do because, you know, I didn't, I didn't get into athletics out of passion and that's not a bad thing. You know, I got into athletics um, through a teacher and through someone seeing what I was good at. And I stayed in it because of the opportunities that were coming out of it as well. Um, like I struggled, I struggled so much to watch, to watch races. And I remember we were speaking about this and you say, you got to be a student of the sport. Uh, but I struggled to watch races and they would only go for like 800s don't go for that long they're under two minutes but I struggled to do that I struggled to wake up and and I've always kind of been real to myself and I didn't watch it if I didn't want to watch it I didn't watch it um like 2016 I didn't know who I was racing against you know it wasn't until 2020 that I really started understanding the sport and understanding the people understanding splits and stuff like that you know I guess that all kind of came together with that single decision um that okay well i guess i was i was a bit i was i guess i was always kind of mature but i was a little bit older and and i've experienced everything i wanted to experience like traveling the world and 
and seeing everything in different lenses and like there was so many possibilities. It wasn't just about running. Like, and the thing for me was, um, well, we didn't have any family holidays and whatnot. Like I remember speaking to Joe in 2018 when he broke the Serenity Records, like, man, like if we went running, we wouldn't be in Monaco, we wouldn't be in Europe and seeing all these things. So all that came together is like, okay, I've been traveling the world for six years, five years, six years. I've experienced everything. I've seen people collected stories. Now it's time to kind of focus on this thing. And, and I really wanted to because, because I figured I could. And then I think that single decision changed everything. Yeah. And just, yeah. And one thing about how one of our guys we love, the late Kobe is I remember I tagged you in something online, I don't know, over the last, I think since his past, but like mid last year where, there was this excerpt that he had in regards to how much of a student of the game you you have to be to be one of the greats. He had read every page of the NBA rule book given to umpires to know where the referee would stand, to know what he could do when the referee couldn't see and could see him. That's to obsession. That is. Yeah. But that, that shows that when he does all that training, it's not all you know shooting hoops and shooting baskets and things like that. That just shows... You know, and Kobe's a one example, but a, well, what an example he is. But um, of just yeah, how dedicated and how all those little things add up, and how things like you coming forth of the, the Olympics and the guys that came first, second, and third, none of that was a a surprise. Like none of that was a shock. They prepared everything of them to, to give them the best chance. I guess what really did help me at the same time too is is having that strong support team and people that are passionate, like. Justin loves the sport. Justin gets up to watch Diamond League races and Joe gets up to watch Diamond League races and and they know splits. They know everyone. And it was funny. I think it was 2019. Uh, I, was, I was with Joe in Leuven and um, Chez, King Chez was kind of quizzing us on all these. He had these pictures of all the guys he, he kind of beat in, in school while he was in Eugene, Oregon and and Joe would name all the people and I couldn't name a single person. And these are like cross country runners. And, uh, and I was just like, man, I think that's kind of going to change. Um, and the more, you know, the more confidence you kind of get. Uh, so then it becomes that. And what I appreciate the most having JT around was how much inside knowledge he had and, and the stories he would share from, I mean, world-class athletes. He's had the best athletes to ever do it. Like David Radisha, um, Bernard Lagarde and all these stories from being in the circuit for so long and and he's just like man this is it's actually kind of cool like it, it kind of made me love it because I didn't come into the sports out of love I came into it out of like winning and like just circumstances so I had to I had to really love it and I wasn't really loving it like that I was loving everything that came with it yeah and and I just happened to be to be good and talented and I enjoyed training like I I enjoyed training, but training wasn't going to be enough ever. Yeah. I mean, just had to be a little bit, a little bit more than that. Uh, and you had to have people holding you accountable too. That support team is really important. You know, you have, like I have you, I have, I have Justin, um, I have James. You have no idea how much difference it makes to have someone on the track when you're training. And, and that's the struggle with Perth when you go to Perth, right? And you're training by yourself. Like it's fine. I can train by myself. But that time when it gets a little bit hard and just having someone there, yeah. um, just watching, it's a huge difference. It just changes everything. And we speak about this with Joe. Like, I think Joe sometimes would say, man, training is, training is boring without Justin, you know? 
and you just need someone just to be there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess. yeah. People, you don't have to do it all by, all by yourself. It is part of the crew. And I think you mentioned earlier about the sports psych and you weren't that interested in chatting to them in Rio. And then you've sports psych or, or something else or manager, but now you're, you do, you open, you're, you're open to getting the advice of others and you take that on. And I think that mm-hmm. that is not as common as you would think it would be. Like, you know, a 144 Olympian listening to a 150 runner tell them a bit about, a bit about 800s and what to do. A lot of people would not be interested, but you've... Um, no, I humble myself. I listen to everyone. Right. I take I take what I think is important. If if I don't think it's important, I'll still sit there and listen and give them a chance, you know? Because yeah. I guess if you think about it, like not throwing shade at Justin, but yeah. Justin didn't run 144. Yeah. <laughs> Justin didn't run 144, but but he knows how to get you to run 144. That's right. A bit faster. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, so you just kind of got to humble yourself and it's not about like, okay, they didn't run that time and yeah, doesn't mean they can't help you, you know. That's um, right. And every, every, every person starts from somewhere, right? Yeah. Like Justin just didn't go into into coaching straight away like 144 person. He came out of, out of somewhere. Someone had to give him a chance. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so... So yeah, I guess humbling yourself is pretty important, which I think I it worked to my advantage a lot because I'd listen to these stories from James. I'd listen, I'd pay attention to them to the point that I'd write them down, yeah. and I'd go back and look into them. I'd listen to these stories from you and and Justin. It's just you know he knows times, knows everything, and it's just I had to learn a lot. I had to commit to learning, and that's when it was just taking a lot of time and. And at the start, it was just kind of boring, and then just, and I just fell in love with it. it just all clicked. And yep. we speak about this with JT. It's a beautiful thing when it all clicks. Sometimes you don't know why it clicked, how it clicked, but you just, it just clicked. And twenty twenty was, was it? Yeah. Twenty twenty one was it? Uh, well, it was, it was it at this point. There might be more to come. Hey? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And I guess now it's just going back and figuring out why it all clicked and. And how to maintain that? Because I think that's I think that's the value is that consistency, you know, in competing. Yep. And we've been competing very consistently, uh, but we've we've been happy, um, you know, outside of the track. You yep. know, I don't think I don't know. I don't think I was that happy in 2019. You know, I struggled being away from home. Um, I never really called Melbourne home, although I kind of lived there. Yeah. So. And that, that stuff had to kind of change and you just have to make a decision. If it wasn't home, then you go back to Perth and, okay, maybe it's not going to work out in Perth then. Yeah. You know, so you had to you had to focus so much on the outside and then the training kind of makes sense. Yeah. And, like, and like you know, the training is important too. We train, train very well, very consistently. Yeah. Um, and it was funny, I trained less, as in like I did less, less running, but I did more of the other things. Like I, I think we're doing two gym sessions a week, but it was very consistent. Yeah. And I speak to um, one of the physios from the FIS, Kev, and he asked, you know, you're strong this year. I said, yeah, you know, this gym thing kind of works. He says, I tell you every time the gym works. But it was finding a gym that you had fun with and enjoying it. And there's a culture that you kind of associate with as well. That mattered a lot. That mattered to a lot of consistency, you know, we had to find people that you kind of want to work with. That's right. 
Well, I think even thinking about that, I know in 2020 in Europe, I'd say to you, when's your gym session? When's your Pilates session? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, yeah. And then this year I'll message you, you go, oh, sorry, got a, got a massage, I've got gym or like, you know, all these, these things make a big difference. And, you know, as I said, and people might not have believed, but I got you a good odds when I got you added to the markets to win the, win the final mate each way and uh, <laughs> yeah. back to you to win your semi-final all these things that you know you've done all the work as i said there was there was some quantum change for you and, and to maintain what you've currently got well it's going to be very exciting next few years and it's the credit all credit to you it's all you mm. and and my support team 100 percent. i yeah. could not have done it without that you guys and yeah. without so many people the triple j is always quote yeah. um it helps. It it helps. You know, even right now being in Europe without um without a training partner, Joseph is it's hard. Like coming back from the Olympics probably was the hardest part. Yep. Uh, and then you know previous years, you know, just having someone there, there's a lot of familiarity, and you have I have James here, which it helps a lot. Yep. You know, it, it, it makes a big difference. But I mean, that's I guess that's all I want to speak to you about. And yep. um, yeah, it's been great to chat to you and picking your brain as always. Yeah. Um, and I always do. So I do appreciate you for that. I'm very excited to see you whenever we see you in Melbourne. It might be not for a while, but um, yeah, we're yeah, pretty excited to have you, you over. I, have, I haven't even seen the boys. It's no. feels like this lockdown has been forever. So yeah. I very much look forward to it and I look forward to keep, you know, growing physically and, and mentally, at the yep. same time. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, thank awesome you very much. All right. Uh, thanks, Pete. Love you, mate. No, thanks. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 